Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 138 of Impact Boom. My name is Michael Lepre. I'm the founder of Bertoni and a contributing editor here at Impact Boom. I'm passionate about utilizing design to create social impact. Today, we'll be speaking with Karen Lynch. Karen has been CEO of social enterprise Bellu Water since 2011, having previously pursued a corporate career, including EMAP and Barclays. Under Karen's leadership, Bellu launched a new business model focused on exemplifying environmental standards in the industry and investing all profits into the charity WaterAid. Bellu offers the most ethical choice in water service, from bottled mineral water to filtration systems, refillable bottles and carafes to the UK's hotel, restaurant and catering sector. To date, the business has given over £3 million to WaterAid, transforming over 200,000 lives worldwide with access to clean water, decent toilets and good hygiene. With Karen at the helm, Bellu has been recognised with many awards, including the Queen's Award for Enterprise Sustainable Development for championing the environmental benchmark in the sector, innovative design and the partnership with WaterAid. Most recently, Bellu won Best Supplier of the Year at the Sustainable Restaurant Association's Food Made Good Awards 2018. Bellu was the first and remains the only UK drinks business to achieve the Independent British Standard Institute's Carbon Neutrality Standard. Karen's personal mission is to inspire others that there is a better and kinder way to do business, that through business, we can solve some of the world's problems at the same time. Karen has received several leadership awards and is an active mentor for social enterprise leaders. She is also a board member of Homes for Good, Scotland's first social enterprise letting agency, and Social Enterprise UK, the leading membership body for social enterprise. On today's podcast, we'll discuss Karen's journey from a corporate career to social enterprise. We'll look at the importance of embedding impact into all facets of an organisation. And Karen will share her thoughts on the future of social enterprise and what can be done to drive the sector forward. Karen, thanks very much for joining us. Hello, and thanks for having me. Now, Karen, to get things started, could you please share a bit about your background and what led you down the path of social enterprise? Sure. So my early career, um, I began in advertising and became a magazine publisher. I loved it. 13 years publishing specialist magazines and everybody that I worked with was uh, was living their dream. You know, the people on the horsey magazines are passionate about horses. Uh, those on the golf magazines excited about golf. Um, and from there, I moved into finance, where I worked for six years uh, in Barclays in the, the retail bank. Not quite so much fun. Um, and basically, five, six years into that, I started asking people what their purpose was. I don't know where it came from. I guess a, a sense of personal dissatisfaction about where I was going to go next. And I didn't know what next was, but I knew that I wanted more purpose and, and decided that life was too short 
what a few things happened in my personal life to remind me of that. And I decided to, to leave Barclays and figure out what I was going to do next when I'd actually created some time to do that. So very supportive husband in the background um, to say, go on, now's your turn, figure out what it is. I drew up a short list, which ranged from uh, working for charities, favorite charities, to maybe retraining as a midwife or becoming an organic pig farmer, maybe retraining as a vicar, at which point my husband started to tear his hair out and said, why, why don't you start by figuring out what you're good at and how you could apply those skills differently? And, and to this day, another one of my mottos is find out what you're good at and do something good with it. Um, and I was very lucky to come across Blue back in 2009, which at that time was nothing like the business that you see now. Um, it was a, a campaigning brand and it was struggling with a lot of legacy debts. And I looked at that and I could see my space and I read a business plan of, of how that troubled business should stop and start again. And I accidentally became the CEO. Excellent. Well, it's very interesting. <laughs> what you say find out what you're good at and, and do something good with it it's very interesting and probably a great thing for any of our young listeners um, listening to that now for those who aren't aware um, of Bellu and there's probably a few people around different parts of the world including Australia can you please tell us a little bit more about the Bellu business model and the impact that you're having in the poor communities around the world Sure. So Blue is, um, if you come to London, certainly, and please do, once you spot Blue, you can't move through life without, without <laughs> seeing Blue. So we're the natural mineral water brand that you will see served in all of the high profile restaurants and the main restaurant chains in London and in the UK. So uh, I think at last count, we're in eight of the 20 largest chains. So doing really well in terms of market share, but also in anything that's top end. We purposely positioned ourselves as a premium brand because we wanted to be able to have a business model that was viable. We needed to make profit to be able to invest in our social impact, but also into making sure from an environmental perspective, our product is the best that you can get the lowest footprint. And, you know, in my experience, if you're pioneering in the environmental space, initially things cost a little bit more. But essentially, if you work with Blue, whether you choose to buy natural mineral water or whether you've moved away from single use completely and you're using a filtration system and refillable bottles, if you work with Blue, you get a promise of the best environmental proposition and all of the profits that we make go to water aid. And you mentioned early on uh, three million pounds to date. Well, actually, as of as of the year we've just finished, we, we've hit one of the biggest goals that we ever had, which was what if we could do a million pounds in one year? And 2018 was the year in which uh, we we've done that. We don't officially announce that till March 22nd. So if you're listening to this, keep it a secret <laughs> until then. congratulations. That's um, that's a huge deal. That's fantastic. Thank you. So as you've just mentioned, uh, Bellu does donate all of the profits to uh, the charity partner WaterAid. Now, I'm wondering why it was so important to partner with an existing charity rather than trying to administer the social impact yourself. One of the, the values that we have as an organization is we invest, we don't spend. So that makes us think care, very carefully about what, what we do. And actually, when it comes to our profits, we think in the same way is what's the best way to invest these profits in having an impact in the area of eradicating water poverty. Now, in the very early days, we did build our, our own dam working with local partners. We did do various in other things in trying to bring that to life and and what when we benchmarked ourselves against the wash sector actually what we found was that was highly inefficient and and 
you know, you can spread an organization too thinly. You know, you can't be good at everything all at the same time. Right. And when we approached WaterAid to ask if they would work with us and be their partner, it was a big leap of faith for them at the time. But we were really clear once we'd looked at their work in detail and that, you know, they are the experts in WASH. You know, taking our own team out and digging a well, you know, it just isn't going to compare with the return on investment in terms of life's transformed that we'd get through working with WaterAid. Um, and I think... For me personally, partnerships and collaborations are just a much more positive way of doing business and, and you know, inspiring all businesses to look around and sometimes see people that would have been competitors as collaborators is a really good way to counter think and change some of the traditional ways we, we do things and in through that reduce our impact on the planet and increase our positive impact on the planet. Yeah, definitely. Just picking up on that environmental impact. Another way that Blue creates impact is through your commitment to sustainability, and that's through your packaging and through your local sourcing of materials. So can you tell us uh, more about this, including some of the innovations that Blue has made, such as developing a new bottle design? Yeah, sure. I think the key thing to say first is to genuinely do the right thing for your customer and to be able to be the most sustainable, what you need to do is have a portfolio which allows the customer to choose what's right for them. And in doing so, you know, actively compete with yourself. Uh, what I mean by that is if we didn't do filtration systems, we only did mineral water in single-use bottles, how could we genuinely try and do the right thing? Um, so, so firstly, having a range approach is the first thing that we do. The second thing is we focus on... Um, using recycled materials and lightweighting the products that we create. So in glass, we've developed a sister business called Ethical Glass, where we developed the IP to significantly reduce the weight of the bottles that can take both still and carbonated product. But instead of owning and keeping the IP secret, as most organizations would do, we actually shared that because our view is if we can become the glass supplier to effectively our competitors, and we make a royalty on that, so we make a profit on that, we can then increase the monies that go to all trade. And then very topical space for me would be the plastic space, where since 2012, which makes me start to feel really old, <laughs> Blue's always promised a minimum of recycled plastic in its, in its plastic bottles, a minimum of 50% recycled plastic, because we knew it was possible. And the market resisted and said it isn't possible, consumers will reject it. Well, we spent, you know, seven years almost and now actually proving that that's not the case. And of course, when all of the post-Blue Planet impacts started to hit the sector and consumers started demanding more, well, what we've seen is the market start to move towards that position because the seven years of, of best practice showing that that's possible. Um, so we're very, very busy looking at 75 and 100% recycled plastic in our bottles. There's very different views on what's best, but the key principle we stand behind actually is a recycled plastic bottle has a much lower impact in terms of carbon, so much lower footprint than something like a can or even a glass uh, view. And so you should never take decisions in isolation. Sure. Uh, and that plastic isn't the problem people are. And the problem that people have created is they're using plastic and discarding it rather than viewing that waste as a resource and reusing it. So that's why our bottles are made from bottles. And we, we really love everything that Ellen MacArthur stands behind in terms of the, um, the circular economy uh, and closed-loop recycling is something we get really excited about. <laughs> I guess, especially in the industry that you're in, that's something that everyone should be really pushing for. 
thing is, you know, because I'm responsible to traditional shareholders, my job as a CEO is to look at every market opportunity as a money-making opportunity. And, of course, that's what we see with the anti-plastics movement. We're seeing lots of people happily sell you other products instead, mm. but they won't say, you know, might solve the ocean plastics problem, which is one way to do it, not do it at all. But actually, your CO2 emissions are going to go through the roof. I mean, we've seen the same happen in the car industries with the move from diesel, is these unintended consequences... We need to be aware of them because we don't want to end up in a place with a clean ocean but no atmosphere. So there is there is often no easy tick, easy way to be better. And, you know, our space is, is to work with our customers to be really honest about the good and the bad and help them make the right decisions they can because... I don't want the businesses that I supply to become unsustainable because of the choices they feel they make because they've been misinformed. Definitely. Now, the bottled water industry uh, is a highly competitive market, um, and there are a few large multinational players. Bellu has a clear environmental and social impact, but how do you communicate this impact to potential customers and ultimately persuade them to choose Bellu rather than a competitor? So... It depends on the target customer and what they care about. And, and I'll be really honest, we, we tend to use the language of saying we're looking for partners, not customers. You know, it's, it's, I think it applies in every market. If you want a customer on price, you're going to lose them on price. So yeah. we, we try and look for people who care and who value the value that's in our proposition. Um, and so therefore we have a really uh, focused brand approach that we, we want to create a brand that people want to work with so they come and talk to us and then we're working through are we the right partner for each other rather than spending lots of energy going out there and selling to the market because you know, going back to that value of investing, not spending, the one thing that social enterprises really have is big budgets. Never mind big budgets, we're happy to throw at the market with risk in them. Now, up until the last 12 months, the social impact through war trade was a really strong uh, point of connection. People get that. They get human stories. They really engage. They struggled, if I'm honest, to get anywhere near as excited as we do by the fact that, as you mentioned um, earlier, we, we are past 2060 certified, which means we know our carbon footprint is much detailed as we know our finances and we're mm. audited and, and we can show them exactly the difference in this product versus that product. Um, it, it is a harder subject for, for potential partners to get excited about, which I think is why the Blue Planet uh, series was so so it was accessible because people connected with it emotionally. And so regardless of any confusion it creates when people go off and try and tick boxes and, and, and think there are easy ways to change, it's been a massively valuable thing for us that all of our customers and potential customers now want to enter into not just a dialogue, but genuinely they, they feel there's a responsibility to learn more and make the right decisions. Um, so... Once we've done both of those things, that we're the best choice environmentally and we've engaged into our social impact, um, for us it's been about making sure that as a brand we sit comfortably within their environment. So we have to be premium. Um, you know, as much as we could put, you know, um, a picture of a child in Ethiopia, you know, struggling to collect water on the front of the bottle, it doesn't fit with that environment. So I think the magic around Blue has been building a brand that's beautiful inside and out and it sits in the environment of the customer who we're dependent on to choose blue to make sure that the guys in their restaurant are having the most beautiful night ever. Yeah, definitely. It totally makes sense. Now, uh, Karen, before you began as managing director of blue in 2010, you were an executive at Barclays, which is a, a multinational investment and financial services company. In 2010, blue was losing money and in debt 
and making charitable donations of just £30,000 a year. What experiences did you bring from the corporate world that helped turn the brand around and what lessons can be learned for any social entrepreneurs who are listening? So I think the being philosophical about it, right, is when when I found myself unexpectedly, I have to say, as the chief exec of Blue, it was suddenly because everything I'd done in my career had purpose, had meaning, and I could apply it. I, I honestly don't know where I would have started with Blue if I hadn't spent 13 years running P&Ls of, of different magazines and events, and if I hadn't run large teams, marketing budgets, and budgets generally in, in Barclays. I, I don't know where you would start. And, and actually, that's what I try and work with with my mentees initially around you know, how do you simplify all of that into good business models and good sound decision making? Um, because I see so many different things and different approaches that don't make sense to me in the marketplace. You know, so when I came across Blue, it was really clear that the business wasn't sustainable. And the irony in that, when you're trying to, you know, focus on sustainability, you know, a planet that's fairer, more inclusive, where, you know, everybody can, we can create equality, at least through access to clean water as a starting point, and yet the business model made made no sense. So it was all of that experience where, so the penny dropped, is I knew how to run businesses, I knew how to, to look at what wasn't working, I knew how to put it right, and and it doesn't mean it was easy, I mean, that the hard bit for Blue was 2010, 2009-2010, we literally stopped everything, there were redundancies, um, we had to stop and redefine the brand. We launched again in 2011 with Watered as the partner, and probably 2010 was the toughest year. And we hadn't done anything yet. You know, we'd we'd taken forward 1.9 million pounds of legacy debt and the accountability for that, and here we were starting again as a startup. So I always view those early years as my startup years, and I've always said I will do it again. I'm only just getting around to that now. Um, but everything, every bit of experience of every job that you've ever had will help you. I think the important thing is to also figure out what experience you don't have and make sure that you have that in your support network initially and in your team as you move forward. Definitely some, some great advice there. Um, and, you know, we, we, we can't do it all and, and none of us are good at it all either. What changes have you seen in social enterprise since you joined Baloo in 2010 and what more do you think can be done to drive the sector forward? So I would say my early years, um, we never viewed Blue as a social enterprise and we never knew, used those words. Now, that in part was because it was an, a kind of unannounced and emerging sector. I certainly wasn't aware of it. I wasn't aware that the, the model I was proposing to for Blue was, was a social enterprise model. And even when we did become aware of Social Enterprise UK, um, they were very keen for us to join. I said the rest of the sector was, no, 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 Blue's not a social enterprise. Social enterprise is much more in, in health and education. Um, you know, this idea of consumer goods being in social enterprise was certainly pretty new um, in 2011. Um, and SEUK got quite excited quite quickly going, this could be it. The way we're going to engage consumers, customers, or get people interested in where their pensions are invested is about making the connection between normal people and what this this revolutionary way to do business looks like. So from that point, I've always been a huge fan of SEUK and we've seen, you know, go, going from a handful of, of social enterprises like 
ourselves divine jamie oliver's 15 restaurant to then seeing whether it's stand for the socks or from babies with love at uh, this uh, soap co we've started to see much more brands um develop in this space um which is great but it's still not enough um i like everybody particularly now in the uk uh, political landscape we're frustrated you know there's no time for anyone to focus on anything other than brexit and brexit <laughs> is a concept as or a reality certainly making everyone who runs a business's life harder um but that breakthrough moment of media and people getting it i think we're still to have i think it's building um and getting people in a, in a position where they can move beyond their personal, am I okay, is this cheapest for me, um, culture and into conscious buying, conscious engagement with brands and seeing through what might be tactical marketing uh, versus what's a genuine values-led business, I think is, is something that will we will have our time. We certainly won't have it yet. I certainly don't think 2019 is going to be a good year for consumers to get engaged at scale, but I think we've got to try anyway. But what's most important is that as social enterprises, particularly here in the UK, just get our heads down, accept the difficulties that are in our world right now and, and try harder and be smarter regardless. Yeah, look, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, value-led business, which is essentially what social enterprise is, um, which kind of leads me on to the next question. So the UK is one of the leading regions for social enterprise in the world. Um, Australia's social enterprise sector is also thriving, but, but I've personally experienced some businesses who lack any embedded impact and donate only marginal profits to charity, sometimes 10% or even less, but brand themselves as social enterprises. Now, Karen, do you think this is damaging to the sector? And how can we communicate to the public that true social enterprise is much more than business as usual with a small donation on the side? It's one of the things I get really grumpy about myself, actually. Um, and, I, and I think it, it, it's a double-edged sword, right? So firstly, as social enterprises, I think we've got two jobs to do. One is to be successful in ourselves. The second is move the bar general, general, generally, um, influencing all businesses to try better, try harder. So we should not... Um, kick anybody who is trying to do their bit. So, you know, as a chief exec of a, of a standard business with shareholders, if I do something good, if I increase my social impact and reduce my environmental impact, great, let's do it, let's applaud that, but don't market yourself as a social enterprise. I think the bit we need to get much clearer about is what does make a social enterprise and where do we draw the lines and what must you do to carry that? So um, another area of risk is where people build a business as a social enterprise, um, trade brilliantly, they might be doing amazing things, but actually they could then sell that business, it could remain with that brand position in the market and it no longer deliver on that impact. So for me, asset locking um, is a very important space. And I think, you know, Social Enterprise UK has a job to do, um, increasingly difficult, small organisation, 
um, with very limited resources, typical social enterprise, um, but doing amazing work. And actually, we're on a mission to make sure we start to make this really clear. You know, so where are we being inclusive in terms of a social enterprise movement? And now that can include advocates and supporters too. But we must make really clear that there is no confusion between what is a social enterprise and what is a a promotion that looks like a social enterprise or a business masquerading as a social enterprise and in fact there have been um, cases referred to trading standards and I think increasingly that will be the case right because entrepreneurs all over the world and in the UK get very motivated about making money around an opportunity so the more successful social enterprise comes as a way to drive trading revenue the more at risk our sector will be and the more careful we need to be. Yeah, definitely. Some um, some very great thoughts there from you about that. So, um, Karen, what inspiring organisations or projects have you come across recently that you'd uh, like to share with our listeners? Oh, can I talk about my mentees here? Because yes, please it's always do. good please to do. give some of them a plug. Um, and, and actually, I work with them because they inspire me, right? So Blue is a really busy job. It's sometimes a really stressful role, um, as all CEO roles are, I'm sure, in social enterprise, for profit, whatever your sector. I love mentoring. It's just the way I remind myself how easy my world is versus when we're at the starting point. Yeah. So. Um, and I try and get my team involved with them um, wherever I can. So we had a team day last year and we got over the lovely Joanne who um, runs Juta Shoes. Now, Juta Shoes is an amazing social enterprise created on the employability model, creating employment for marginalised women in London. But the bit I like about the model is instead of creating work by teaching these ladies to make shoes, um, what Joanne's doing is teaching these ladies to teach us to make shoes. So my team and I got to make our own shoes in a workshop, uh, and it was just the most incredible experience ever. It was lovely. So that would definitely be on my favourite list. Um, I love um, Rubies and the Rubble. Uh, we starting to cross over in the Blue Serves, the hotel and restaurant market, and Rubies and the Rubble um, basically diverts what would become food waste, Oh, actually, they've got an amazing vegan mayo too now. And so relishes, ketchups, chutneys and mayo. So, you know, buying those products that taste amazing that you were going to buy anyway, but engaging with a brand that has got doing good at its heart. And they're also a, a member of Social Enterprise UK is amazing. Um, I'm not sure if you've come across Josh from Stand for Socks. Um, you know, we all need socks. So buy some <laughs> socks that make a difference. Um Jamal from Change Please, you know, a cup of coffee that makes a difference yep, and creates yep. employment opportunities for those who were previously homeless. Um, the list goes on and on. And I just love the fact that we are in a time where we should be saying as consumers, those of us who've got it and are support, supportive of the sector, is if I can't buy something that I need right now from a social enterprise made by a social enterprise, isn't it about time that I started a social enterprise up that does that? Mm. That could leave you with very little spare time, Karen, I think. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Not just me, all of us. Gotcha, all of us. gotcha, definitely. To finish off, my last question is, uh, what are some great books or podcasts that you'd recommend? So here's the bit where I confess that I only really read on holiday um, and I read trash. <laughs> Generally, <laughs> easy to read thriller. Sure. Um, not always, but mostly. 
Um, but from podcast point of view, um, I'm the biggest fan of reasons to be cheerful. And, and, and I guess you've probably figured out uh, by now that I'm an optimist uh, and I like to translate that into action. So um, I really struggle with the amount of debate that's going on currently that I see as wasted energy where it's not going anywhere. And so I find something really reassuring about the fact that Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed, Ed Miller Band um, addresses some hot topics, some tricky issues, but in a really positive way and addressing things like, you know, how to think differently or or brands or products or companies that are addressing a problem differently. Uh, and we were lucky enough actually to, to make a, a podcast, I can't remember what number it was, um, but if you Google Blue and Reasons to be Cheerful, if you want to hear more about Blue, that would be a good place to start. Yeah, fantastic. Something that um, all our listeners can do to learn more about Blue. Karen, thank you very much for your time today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.